Well, good morning. What a surprise. Here in October, I stand at Claremont. Uh, uh, truly happy to be here. Uh, I couldn't help but notice uh, my wife nudged me um, and said, look at the bullets in your names for next Sunday night. And then, of course, they corrected that, and I, I did hear the sighs of relief. I want you to know that, okay? I want you to know that. <laughs> well, anyway, it's, it's, it is good to be back. Uh, we always enjoy coming here, and uh, in a couple more months, I suppose that'll start happening again, Lord willing. Uh, it was interesting, uh, when I was coming to speak, uh, uh, Rod was uh, gracious enough to pick us up at Ontario, and we'll be heading up at the conference and back with them, and, and so forth, but about, um, uh, maybe about a week after uh, that was all agreed upon, I get a call from Dave wondering if I could uh, minister as long as I was going to be here on Sunday anyway, and of course the first reaction was, oh, you know, I've already got all these other lessons I'm preparing for. I'm, I'm ministering back in Michigan. But you know, when you don't have a good reason to say no, and the Lord opens the door, you go through it. So uh, then I had to pray about, well, what am I going to minister on? Uh, I don't have time to start from something scratch and really put together a, a couple of sermons uh, with what's going on. And uh, so I said to the Lord, well, you're going to have to reveal to me what you think maybe I should speak on. And what I'm going to be speaking on is something that I found when I got home uh, this uh, summer from California here in the spring. And I was kind of going through some of the old things. You know, I got, I've been speaking for over 50-some years. You know, I have so many lessons that I can't throw anything away. So I've got a box full. i got folders full. And I thought, well, maybe there's something in there. And I came across what we're going to be looking at today, and I looked at that and I said, oh, wow, this is so relevant for today, uh, even more so than I think it was about 35 years ago I put this together, uh, it could be even be longer. And the reason I know that I always make little notes where I've spoken on something and the dates, and some of the assemblies um, no longer even exist. Uh, they were small and, and no longer there. So it, I know it's at least 35, 40 years ago uh, that I did this. So I revamped it a little bit. I thought, boy, this is good. It's so relevant for today. And it's a very challenging type of message. Uh, maybe by the time this day's over, you'll be sorry you asked me uh, to speak here today. But I found it convicting when I put this together. I whenever the number of years ago, I remembered at the time. I said, oh, yes, I remember this lesson. And as I went through it, I thought, well, this is pretty lengthy, so I revamped a little bit. But we have enough for two lessons, <laughs> and that worked out perfectly. And the title of this particular lesson is Hindrances to the Spiritual Life. Hindrances to the Spiritual Life. And the thing I couldn't help but think of, you know, as I went through this, you know, Bob, Nothing's changed in your life totally because every one of these hindrances pop up in your life every so often. And it's interesting, we, we sang Heavenly Sunshine. And it's kind of appropriate. It's a nice little chorus I remember singing when I was in Sunday school years ago. But I have a little introductory statement here that deals with the sun. It says, why blame the sun 
for not shining into your home when you have closed the shutters. Open the shutters and it will shine in all its glory and warmth. We complain that the Lord seems to withhold his grace and blessings and is drawing near to us. Well, if we open our hearts to him and his word, make room and prepare a place for him, we will find he is there waiting to draw near so he can pour out his grace and blessings to us. You know, the Lord wants to bless us. He wants to, you know, have us enjoy his grace and his peace and all, everything that comes along with the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. But, you know, many times we just don't sense that, do we? Well, guess whose fault that is? Well, it's us. And, you know, as we, the truth of the matter is, you, you and I hinder the Lord from being all that he desires to be in our lives. We have, I appreciate every blessing I have from the Lord, and I'm sure you do, and he has blessed us tremendously. But I can't help but think how many blessings he still wanted to give me, but he couldn't because I was hindering him. My spiritual life was not what it should have been at the time. And to, to our shame, you know, we forget that Christ is everything. And we know that, but we forget it. Christ is everything. And he's in every one of his believers. Every child of God here has Christ in you. He's everything. And we even profess to that fact. But we forget that sometimes. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, his very presence, is living in us. And we are to be living to the glory of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, we know from Scripture that the Holy Spirit indwells us. And I just wanted to start with a couple of passages, which you were familiar with. Let's just look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 34, or verses 3 and 4. And the emphasis I'm trying to make here in this very early going is Christ is in us. Christ is in us. He's everything. And he indwells every believer. And Peter makes this very clear in his second epistle in the third and fourth verses of chapter, or of chapter one. He says, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Look at those words carefully. His divine power has given to us, has been given to us, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who was called us by his glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, you may be partakers of that divine nature again, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Another passage we won't turn to, I'm just going to allude to, is John chapter 14, verse 17. At the end of that verse, the Lord, or the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that the Holy Spirit is not only going to be with us, he's going to be in us. 
which just reinforces. This divine nature within us is the Holy Spirit of God. And he's everything in relationship to our spiritual life. And as we think about this marvelous truth, in Ephesians 5.18, we're told, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Allow him to control your life. And then we're also reminded in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve or hinder the Holy Spirit. Well, obviously, from that statement, it's obvious that we do. Else we wouldn't be told not to hinder or grieve the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit is grieved and being hindered, he can't work in and through our lives the way he wants to and bless us the way God wants to. Now, there's two main reasons or sources from which hindrances to spiritual living come. And this has been my experience, and I think the experience of many. The first source is from without, outside of me. And, of course, in Romans 14, 13, he says, Let us not judge one another, but judge this rather, that no one put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Why is it sometimes that our spiritual life is being hindered? It's from what other people are doing that are hindering me from moving forward. You know, it's one of those things that I've experienced, and I've done this myself. I've judged other brothers and sisters in Christ on occasion. Shame on me, but I've done it. Because, you see, when I do that, I, I don't recognize the Lord's working in their lives. He has a purpose in their lives. I don't necessarily know what that is. But at this point, I'm kind of critical of it. And as a result... I get in their face a little bit about it. And what does that do? It hinders them. It's an outward thing. It's nothing they've done. It's something I have done towards them that's causing them to be hindered in their spiritual lives. And, you know, the, the thing that we have to understand is we are told as believers to be stepping stones, not stumbling blocks to our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I'm to be living a life, I mean, moving forward and helping others to move forward. A stepping stone. I'm not to be a stumbling block. And I have to ask myself, you know, am I really one of those in whose life I have been a stumbling block? I'm hindering somebody else from moving forward in the things of the Lord. So one source of it, of course, is the without aspect. And we're all guilty of it, whether we want to admit it or not. And the reason I feel comfortable speaking on this, because I know it's going to be a very convicting message, is that when I went through and I have 10 things, I was hit by every one of those 10 just this last summer, realizing again, yes, I need this. And I'm confident I can preach it here because... You're no different than I am. These are things that all of us as believers have to deal with. The second one, of course, is hindrances from within. Now we get down to ourselves. 
And of course, those things you allow, I allow, or neglect in our spiritual life. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I want you to turn to it. I know you can quote it. Almost everybody I know can quote this, but I want you to take a look at it because it's just one of many passages we could look at. But again, keep in mind what we're saying here at this moment. The second form of hindrances come from within us. And we're told very boldly in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. How do you prove? You do it. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? Now that's just one of many passages we could look at in relationship to affecting our own spiritual lives. It has been said, if you are right within through obedience to Christ, allowing the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, and allowing the Holy Spirit to control your life, there will be little danger from things without, for the righteous, uh, righteous within will give us spiritual vision to see the wrongness without. And that would be concerning ourselves and concerning others. So I have to be concerned with two things, that my life as such will not do anything that would hinder you and you moving forward in your spiritual life. And then I have to look within myself to see what types of things it might be that are in me that are being reflected that could be a hindrance to you as well as to me in our spiritual lives. So from the, these few comments, it should be obvious that the spiritual vision we need comes from the Holy Spirit of God within us. If you learn nothing else, remember this. The power to do this comes from within you in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. It's the only way it can be done. It should be equally obvious that the Holy Spirit can and will control our lives only if our lives are free from these things that grieve or hinder him from working in and through us. Now, that's kind of an introduction. Let's move on in. We have ten things. I hope to cover five of them this morning. But we'll just see how it goes. Because uh, there are many things. And there are more than these ten things. As I said, I condensed this. I had a lot more, but I thought, that's just way too many. And I condensed them and put down those that the Lord really kind of impressed upon my heart. And we came up with ten here. And these are things that hinder our spiritual growth, our vision, and therefore we have to deal with them. The first one is impurity of heart. Impurity of heart. You know, even in the passage we read in Romans, we are to do the holy will of God in holiness. And, you know, impurity of heart is a terrible thing. We read in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 
It's interesting in that one verse, you have the word cleanse. You have that in relationship to defilement. And we have the word perfecting holiness. This is the will of God for those of us who fear God. See, impurity affects many areas and things in our lives. And I'm just going to mention a few in passing here and support every one of them by Scripture. Why is an impurity of heart such a terrible hindrance in our spiritual lives? Well, first of all, it closes the eyes of the vision of God, for it is only the pure in heart who see him. That's Matthew 5, verse 8. Do you want to have a proper view of a vision of God? Well, it's only the pure in heart who will see it. You're not going to see that if there's sin in your life. Secondly, impurity diverts the purposes of God in our lives. For the end of his commandment is love out of a pure heart. 1 Timothy 1.5. It diverts the purpose of God in our lives. Thirdly, it paralyzes the hand of faith. For the faith is to be held, and again, the faith there would be the whole counsel of God being lived out, is to be held with a pure conscience. 1 Timothy 3, 9. It hinders answered prayer, for we are to call upon God out of a pure heart. 2 Timothy 2, 22. You know, sometimes we go into the Lord's presence, we know there's sin in our lives, and we think it's just a-okay, he's fine with all that. He's not. You see, you cannot pray properly if there's impurity in your life. It is a companion of disobedience, for purity comes in obeying the truth. 1 Peter 1, 22. Disobedience. You cannot obey the Lord because you have to be living in the truth. If you're living in disobedience to God and his word, well, you're living against the truth of the word of God. So simply put it, and this is all, and we're going to spend just a short amount of time on each one of these. We could spend all kinds of time. But the first thing here is impurity of heart. The remedy for an impure heart is to let the Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit, take that whole matter in hand. You see, we can only overcome this through his strength alone. He is holy. The one, that divine nature that has been given to you is a holy nature. It's in you. You have to rely upon that holy nature within you to make sure that impurity is not hindering the Lord's working in your life. The second thing that will hinder our spiritual well-being is worldliness. And I was just define worldliness, it can be defined many, many ways, as anything or anyone put in the place of God or Christ. And you just think about your life for a moment. 
uh, a lot of times we think, well, I'm not worldly because, you know, I don't do all those terrible things that you see in the world today. Well, praise God that you don't do this. It's only by the grace of God. <laughs> in many cases, you're not doing them. But even as believers and those who seek to walk with the Lord, it's amazing how the world can affect us. And just a few passages in Scripture remind us the importance here of not allowing worldliness to become a part and affect our lives. In 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, nor the things in or of the world. Now, when you think of the worldly system, it does affect us. It just does. And we allow it to affect us. You go on from there, Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed, as we've already read, to this world. Instead, be conformed to God's good and acceptable, perfect will in every matter of your life. And again, there are many things that will affect these things. You know, when you think about being conformed to the world, first of all, there's two things. There's activities. And I think in many instances, we're pretty good if we're walking with the Lord in avoiding the activities that are very worldly. But there's, there's another one that's far more serious, and that's attitudes. The attitude the world projects is amazing. How quickly, if we're not careful, those same attitudes can begin to affect you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I look back when I, over the two generations that have preceded me, just in, in uh, our, our home church, and it's not just our home church, it's wherever you go, uh, how things have changed. How much of the world has crept in to the church, the body of Christ, in the two generations that I have now lived? I'm now in the final generation. But as I look back over those 50, 60 years that I've been a Christian, 60-some years, saved as a young boy, and the things that I saw taking place back in those days, and the things that were not allowed. And then what happened during the second part of my generation. And what's happening today, it's amazing how much of the world, the attitudes of the world have crept in to the body of Christ. But more importantly, we're talking about our own lives. See, how much of the world's attitudes have crept into your life? Because, you know, the more the world's attitude creeps in, guess what? The spiritual aspect of your life begins to diminish. It's just going to happen. There's no compatibility between the spiritual and the world. Totally different. That's why we're told not to love the world. That's why we're told not to be conformed to the world. We should have nothing to do with the world other than witness to the world as our brother was sharing this morning. That was thrilling to hear. That's what we're supposed to do. So worldliness, but see, what are some of the things that the world does if you get involved with it? Well, it does many things. It robs us of the Lord's joy and strength. 
For we read in scripture, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You see, the world will rob you of the joy of the Lord. And along with that, what else is going? Your strength. Because you're not relying upon the Lord anymore. You're getting too involved with this world. The two are not compatible. Secondly, it hides the presence of the Lord in communication with him. In other words, your prayer life will be neglected. The more you become conformed to the ways of the world, the less time you're going to be spending with that one who indwells you. Your prayer life will be affected. You have to understand that the joy of the Lord is not only our strength, but you see, we must be in his presence and communication with him. You know, the world will have you communicating with them. And the more you communicate with the world, associate with the world, the less time you're going to be spending in the Lord's presence and associating yourself with him. It quenches our zeal. You know, zeal means fervor and excitement. You know, it's going to quench the zeal for the things of the Lord and for the Lord himself. There's just no compatibility with the world and the Lord. You know, we're to be on fire for the Lord. And the more I find myself being absorbed by the ways of the world, the less zeal I'm going to have for the Lord. It'll rob you of that zeal. And we all know how wonderful it is when you're really on fire for the Lord and you're in communication with the Lord. The blessing of being in that position and we've all experienced there's times we're not that way. Why? We're the ones, you see, are hindering. It spoils and robs us of all the peace of the Lord. Isaiah 26 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, on him. You know, it's amazing how many Christians I know today who are really not at peace about a lot of things. But we should be at peace about everything, really. But you see, if the more we get involved in the world's attitudes and the world's way of doing things, well, the less of the joy of the Lord is in our lives, and things just begin to go downhill spiritually. Another one I just thought of here. We begin to neglect God's word, and as a result, it no longer guides and directs us. We're all familiar with Psalm 119, 105. It says, the the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, of course, what does the light and the lamp do? Well, it opens up a view so I can see the direction the Lord wants me to go. But you see, if I'm associating with the world, now I'm associating with darkness, not light. And what's going to happen to this lamp and this light that we have in the Lord? It's going to go dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Why? Because we're neglecting. We're hindering our walk with the Lord. We won't allow him to be the light and the lamp. Because you know he will lead you in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. But if you start walking in the paths of the world, 
you're hindering him from doing what he wants to do. And we're the losers as a result of that. It also mars our testimony of and for the Lord. For when we walk in the counsel of the ungodly, it diminishes our fellowship with the Lord. <laughs> you know, the psalmist tells us not to sit in the seat of the scornful. Well, it's amazing how many times we find ourselves doing that. And you know, when you're sitting in the seat of the scornful, and when you're walking with the people of the world and the ways of the world, well, what begins to diminish this fellowship we have with the Lord? We know what 1 John 1.7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship one with another, I with him and he with me. Those are marvelous times when you're walking in fellowship with the Lord. But you see, if you're not walking in fellowship with the Lord and you're starting to walk in fellowship with the world, you're robbing yourself. You're hindering the Lord developing your spiritual life. Well, what's the remedy for all of this? Well, it's to live in the presence of the Lord. As we walk in the light, he will walk, uh, we will walk as children of light, Ephesians 5.8. You see, we not only are to walk in the light, we are to be children of light. We once were children of darkness, no light at all in us. But now, in Christ, we are children of light, and we are to walk as children of light. And when you walk with the world, you're walking in darkness. <laughs> Stay away from the world. It will hinder your spiritual walk. But we move on. The next one is the root of bitterness. And this one really convicted me because this is something I had to deal with in my own life at one time. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 15, there's a verse here I just wanted to uh, read. Excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, it's verse 15. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. But we'll just look at verse 14 to begin with. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Look carefully, lest any one fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. What could defile many? Bitterness. I'm sure all of you have been bitter in your life at some time as a believer. You may be today. You know, as I said, I can relate to this. I can remember uh, <clears throat> when I was an elder, a fellow elder came to me because there were things that were taking place that I was really in the assembly that was just really going in the wrong direction and people seen him wanting to go in the wrong direction. And he finally says, Bob, you and I have got to talk. I says, fine. And he was a dear brother and friend. He says, Bob, you've got to let go of this bitterness that's building up in your life as a result of what's taking place at the chapel. Because it's beginning to be noticeable in your life and in your ministry. And of course, I was shocked, okay? 
I didn't think I was being bitter, but it was obvious to others I was. And I thank this dear brother, can't anymore, he's with the Lord, but I thanked him time and time again. We sat down and prayed about it, asked the Lord to remove that bitterness, and praise God he did. It happens. But you know, bitterness is a terrible thing. You know, if we fail the grace of God, the root of bitterness will spring up and trouble and defile us. Don't think it can't happen. I know it can't. And again, there are many things that cause bitterness of soul, and they can be classified in two ways. One is not accepting God's providential dealings in our lives and the lives of others. You know, and what this does, it leads to complaining against God and against complaining against others. And that's exactly what I was doing. You know, as I look back on that, you know, God's dealings in my life, if I'm bitter, he cannot deal in my life. I just won't let him. But, you know, I have to understand, it also affects the lives of others. It does. More than we like to admit or even understand. And I know there are things that come up in our lives that, you know, just really bug you. And they continue. And it only seems to be getting worse. Well, you have to turn those things over to the Lord. There's not some things that I can fix. There's not some things that you can fix. The thing I have to understand that I have to make sure in my own life, you see, there's a lot of things that can cause me to become bitter. You know, some of these, through the unkind words or actions of others, what does it do? It develops a spirit of retaliation. I don't know about you, but I've had people say some pretty unkind things to me who are believers over the years. I'm sure you're shocked by that. <laughs> but, you know, that's hard to deal with. And yet, on the other hand, if you allow it to affect you and become bitterness, what are you going to do? You will retaliate. And boy, that does everybody a lot of good. You see, these are things we have to be careful. Bitterness always leads to complaint and or retaliation because we look at things through unbelief instead of the, uh, uh, leaving them with the Lord. We have to understand there's some things, you just turn it over to the Lord. If you don't like me and you have to say bad things about me, okay, Lord, you deal with it. Just let me move on. Easier said than done. But you see, the power within you can enable you to do that. Also, do not allow the root of bitterness to hinder your relationship with the Lord. Because it will. If you are bitter, your relationship with the Lord is going to suffer. You know, may we accept the Lord's dealing in our lives. Sometimes we don't appreciate the way the Lord's dealing in our lives. Well, just go to the Lord about it. Don't get bitter over it. Sometimes we don't like the way the Lord's working in somebody else's life. 
Well, you can't change that. You go to the Lord with that and leave it there. Because the Lord is working in everybody's life here, including my own. So, you know, we have to understand, let the Lord be the Lord in everybody's life. And let him work in everybody's life, including your own, the way he wants to do that. Ephesians 4.32, we are to forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. And we often look at that as a suggestion, but it's not. It's a command. That's a command. You are to forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake forgave you. You think somebody else is treating you badly? (laughs) Doesn't begin to compare to the way we treated the Lord. He forgave us. And we were reminded this morning of what great sinners we are, were, and always will be until the Lord takes us to glory. Well, one more we'll have time for. I guess we'll get to four instead of five today. Self. Luke 9.23, if any will come, after, come and follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And I like to use a little bit different rendering of the word himself because I think it's a little bit more accurate. If, if any will come and follow me, let him deny himself of self. You know, the hardest thing I have to do is to deny deny myself of myself. Self is the greatest hindrance to my spiritual life. I'm the one who gets in the way more than anything else of letting the Lord really work in my life. We have to get rid of self. You know, self has many faces. There's this, what we call... Self-thought creates one's own conclusions and interpretations instead of obedience to God's word. Sometimes we think that we have the only answer to the problem. Self. I draw my conclusions based upon what I understand and what I see. And, you know, the reason we're not to judge one another is, is because we never do know all the facts. That's why the Lord is the only righteous judge. He knows all the facts. He knows everything. He can judge righteously. You and I can't. We only judge based upon the facts we know and focus on. We don't know all the facts in the situation. Self-seeking is the second one. Cares more about serving one's own interest than the interest of others. I want my interest taken care of. Let somebody else's interest take second place. That's self-seeking. Self-confidence inflated with one's own importance. And as I thought about that phrase, the first word that came into my mind was Pharisees. How often we become Pharisees? And we condemn them. You know, as we preach about them and look at their lives, yes. But what was the big problem with Pharisees? They were inflated with their own self. You know, the Pharisees stood up proud, look at me, I'm praying, look how I pray. 
The enemy is putting down somebody else. Self-confidence, self-action, doing things our own way instead of God's way. Self-love leading to self-will. And we used to have a little joke, uh, you know, his little poem, I love myself, I think I'm grand. You know, in the movie, I hold my hand, I put my arm around my waist, and when I get fresh, I slap my face, you know. This whole idea of self-love, okay? Probably not the best analogy to make from here, but it gets the point across. You know, it's amazing how much love we have for ourselves compared to how we love others. And it's just the opposite of Christ. Just the opposite. He loved us, gave himself for us. There was no self-love from him. And that's the way it's supposed to be with us. You see, you allow love for self to get in the way, and the result is God's will is, is not going to be done. It's my will is that I want to be done. And as somebody said, too often believers get into self-righteousness actions of self-denial instead of following the Lord in the denial of self. I thought that summarized it pretty well. Yes, self is a tremendous hindrance to our spiritual lives. Well, we didn't make five, so we'll have to do six tonight or whatever number we get. But anyway, I trust, you know, as we go through these things, I didn't come here with an agenda. I did this less than 30, 40 years ago. And it's the one that the Lord laid on my heart to do, not even knowing I was going to be speaking here. And I'm going to be speaking on this in a lot of places. And of course, and I want to do that for two reasons. Well, they have to hear it, but I have to keep rehearing it too. And reminding myself. There's a lot of things in my life that I do that hinder my spiritual life and my walk with the Lord, which makes it impossible for the Lord to bless me the way he wants to bless me. So I'm trusting and hoping that I will not be a hindrance to you, and I will not allow things in my life that will be a hindrance to me. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all just would do what the Lord would ask us to do? That's what he wants us to do. Well, may the Lord bless these few thoughts and carry them over again tonight, Lord willing. Shall we pray? Am I to give thanks for the food here? Oh. Our gracious God and dear Heavenly Father, we truly want to thank you and praise you again for your beloved Son and our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word. Oh, how your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. We're so thankful that it does pierce us through and through. What it makes us realize just what we are in ourselves, what we are like apart from thee. We also are thankful that the divine nature of this holy God has been imparted to us. But at the same time, we are ashamed to have to admit that many times we just do not allow that divine nature to control our lives. And as a result, we hinder the work of God in our lives and the lives of others. 
So help us just to examine our own hearts and lives this day and truly look to you for the wisdom and guidance and direction and above all the strength to be what you want us to be, that we can be a blessing to others and bring honor and glory to your name. We now ask your blessing upon our time of fellowship one with another. We thank you for the food that has been prepared, for the hands that have prepared it. Is blessed to our bodies and use it for thy name's honor and glory. Bless our time of fellowship one with another. May it truly be sweet and Christ-centered. We ask these things now and give you the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen.